Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and we are glad to be with you another Sunday morning or any morning or afternoon or night that you might be listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We love you and we enjoy you whenever you show up. We are just appreciative that you take the time out to listen to these provocative conversations that we have around fatherhood, parenting, relationships, marriage, and all things related um, to those areas. My guest today is a longtime friend. Um, we have been connected by the hips for some time and we'll talk a little bit out about that as we go through the show, but his name is Vito uh, Borello. Um, he is the executive director for the National Association for Family, School, and Community Engagement, more commonly known as NAFSCI. Um, Vito is the first executive director um, of NAFSCI. He was appointed in September of 2014. Since his founding, NAFSCI has addressed systemic issues to advance family, school, and community engagement as a strategy for child development, youth achievement, and school improvement. And so his resume goes long. You'll be able to read it um, in the description of the blog and you'll hear more about him and his life. How you doing, Vito? Hey, good to see you, Ken. It's Thanks for having friends, me. As, as one of my good friends says, um, it's better to be seen than to be viewed. <laughs> <laughs> good. Nobody wants, nobody wants to be viewed. Uh, Vito, share a little bit about yourself that I didn't share um, in my opening. Sure, sure. So uh, married 32 years, have two daughters, 30 and 27. Uh, one uh, live in Buffalo, New York, and commute to our Alexandria, Virginia offices. Um, and I've been in the work of engaging families and engaging dads uh, uh, since uh, 1995. Uh, led an organization um, called Every Person Influences Children that was uh, a uh, primarily New York statewide based organization for 19 years. And then through a lot of the policy work that I was doing, I uh, was able to be appointed and thrilled to be appointed as the first executive director of NAFSCI back in uh, September of 2014. Mm. Uh, Vito and I share a good friend in Buffalo, Michelle Urbanzik, um, who I believe followed you at Epic. Um, right. I haven't spoken to her in a while. I need to, she used to call me all the time and have me come up to Buffalo. The last time she came up, she asked me to come to Buffalo. There was about 15 feet of snow. And I was like, listen, we're going to have to do better um, with the invitations to Buffalo, not unless there's a Bills game. And so um, we share that um, between each other uh, for some time when I was the New York State Fatherhood Director. Um, one of my programs, or at least two of my programs, were in Buffalo, New York. And I had one in Chautauqua and one in what, uh, Rochester. And so I was always on the western side of New York, um, sharing time with um, good people such as Michelle and Vito. But talk to me a little bit about how you got into this space, because we don't typically 
walk into this space. We get led into this space. And so how did you end up in the space of working with families and particularly in the space of education? So I had a really varied, uh, uh, varied career path, but I started uh, with a, a bachelor's degree in music education. So I had every intention of being a music teacher. And candidly, I back back in 1986 when I graduated from a, a Wittenberg University in Ohio, um, you know, wasn't overly thrilled with the system of teaching. I loved teaching. I loved being with kids and helping kids, educating kids, but. Um, at the time, thought to myself, well, I'm going to go back to teaching, but uh, wasn't a huge fan at the time of tenure. Uh, still really questioned that issue of, of tenure in terms of um, does it promote mediocrity or does it promote excellence? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, always, like I said, thought I would be coming back. And then um, for a, a few years was in sales and marketing and then and then oversaw sports marketing efforts for the, the uh, Greater Buffalo Convention and Visitors Bureau ended up leading an um, international sports competition called the World Veterans Athletic Championships back in 1995, um, uh, which is the largest track and field competition for master's athletes in the world, 12,000 athletes, 125 countries. And uh, and then at the end of that, um, you know, some of my mentors in Buffalo said, hey, we would, you should consider this. We know your background. We know your history. We know your passion. And there's an organization that's trying to expand nationally uh, around engaging families in their child's education and parenting education. And that was epic, every person influences children. Um, and so I got into that work thinking I'd be there a few years. Uh, I was in my late twenties, I think, mid late twenties at the time. And uh, 30, you know, uh, actually 28 years later, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a labor of love and I'm still on this work. Yeah, so that uh, organization, so this one um, that we're going to talk more about this morning, NASCI, you was also uh, drafted into that as well. Um, talk to us a little bit about the mission of NASCI and its importance in promoting family, school, and community engagement. Sounds great. So, you know, you're right about that kind of being drafted. So first there was a development committee, and I was asked to participate in that. And um, um, and then there was uh, a board that was put together before they had really even thought about the infrastructure of the operation. And I was involved in that. <laughs> and then at that point through this evolution, I was like, well, maybe I would consider this uh, if they if the board would allow me to be remote, which they were were pleased to do. And it's worked beautifully. But that being said, you know, there's never been until NAFSKI, there was never an association whose sole focus not one of 20 different things that they were doing, and there's nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. but whose sole focus was the advancement of policy and practice around family, school, and community engagement is a strategy, you know, to, to student achievement. Um, and so that's, that's why NASCI was formed. Our vision is a world where family engagement is universally practiced as an essential strategy uh, for improving children's learning and advancing equity. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about all families, but it is also uh, about a laser-like focus on creating those opportunities and really addressing equity in an intentional way that allows for all children to have opportunities. Um, and so that's that's Nasky's vision. And uh, and I would say to you that we are both a traditional, what I would say is a traditional membership association 
Um, the Kellogg Foundation, one of our funders, calls us the big tent. So from everything from Head Start practitioners to K-12 educators and school staff uh, to uh, district administrators in schools, school districts, to state education agencies, the majority of state education departments across the country are members of NAFSCI. Uh, to higher education, we're focused on educator preparation, preparing teachers to engage families, and then to researchers and policymakers. So after school providers, community-based organizations. So it's kind of this broad, you know, if you are a family-facing professional, you know, there we are an association for you. And so it's about creating that network. It's about building capacity of the field. But at the same time, as someone who's been in this in this work for you know most of my professional life. Um, and and not living in Washington D.C., I I have a, a, a an appreciation for the urgency of being able to move this work forward, and uh, and also what an uphill struggle it's been for for practitioners like you and me in this work, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we are also about creating the conditions. I like to say we are a think and action tank. Uh, and that really, as we think about what are those conditions, what are those obstacles to advancing family engagement is this strategy that we all know that it should be based on the research. How can we how can we address those obstacles and create the conditions to advance the work? So I'll, I'll throw just a couple of examples of that without going too much into the weeds. Mm -hmm. so I mentioned one, you know, we research is clear that, you know, most teachers have not been prepared to engage families as partners in their child's education before the end of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that and we think about, you know, uh, families being engaged, fathers being engaged, um, teachers aren't prepared to do that from a competency standpoint. And so, you know, teachers become principals and principals become superintendents and superintendents become state commissioners mm -hmm. and state commissioners become secretaries of education. And for the most part, nowhere along that career path have they been prepared to engage families as partners. And then when you add complexities to engaging families, like, by the way, no fault of families themselves, but complexities that are systems-based issues like you know, poverty, socioeconomic status, uh, race, culture, language, uh, transportation barriers, uh, single parent families, two parents that are both working and don't have time to go to school during the workday. All these things are complexities. If, if teachers haven't been prepared to engage families that don't have as many complexities, well, why would, then why would we think that they would be prepared to engage families that are dealing with some of those complexities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the gap is, right? The gap isn't about families who don't care, which mm -hmm. I'll, I'll often hear about, mm -hmm. or dads who don't care. It's about the fact that the system hasn't, hasn't figured out how to reach and engage them. Um, and so that's just one example of, of you know, and we're so, so we now have an educative preparation framework for family and community partnerships that we just launched. We have, um, uh, a state, a pre-service consortium of state education departments and higher ed institutions who are training teacher candidates who are, have thought with us about the development of this framework. And we're now, we've got nine grantees across the country who are now piloting this. So as our way of really creating this movement about we have to prepare teachers to engage families before they enter the classroom and then when they get into the classroom. Mm -hmm. One last thing I want to say about that is just one example of our work 
Teachers themselves desire this. This is, research has been clear about this. This is the number one fear of teachers, of why they believe if they fail in that profession and end up leaving the profession, they believe that it will primarily be because they haven't been prepared to engage families as partners. Yes. And think about the teacher exodus now, that's the case, same, same issue. Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about it, you know, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about my own personal household, right? Because a lot of this work, it's filtered through our own lenses, right? Video, um, video. I'm looking at the video. Vito. It's filtered through our own lenses. And I was actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about my wife and I's conversation last night about, you know, intentional conversation, right? This is a this is in a family where social economics is not an issue for us. You know, we've we're educated, we're servants, we're people of God, we're all those things. But education in our life is so intentional, like because your children are being educated, like um, there's a school meeting tomorrow about a mission trip. You know, there is a test score um, training that the kids got to go through. Um, who's going to pick up Andrew? Who's going to pick up KJ? Who's taking KJ to basketball practice? Who's helping Andrew with his math homework? And who's going to take him to mathnasium so he can get a tutor? Oh, who's doing to? It's so intentional in the family space that I don't think we take that into consideration to your point when we talk about that intersecting with education in and of itself, but I wanted to take a step back a little bit and have you slow down and help people kind of understand like when we use this word engagement, right? Because that word is thrown around a lot. Engagement and probably synonymous with involvement, right? Parental involvement, parental engagement. But I don't think that we take time to really identify for parents what that means. And I think teachers struggle also with what it means. Like, what do we mean when we're saying engagement, right? Is it just um, through the emails that we send to parents? Is it just through the hello and goodbyes that we say when they drop their kids off and pick it up? What is real engagement? What are we after here? Yeah, it's a great question. So we believe that involvement is important, but involvement doesn't go to the level of engagement. You know, engagement is 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 more than receiving a newsletter. Engagement is more than one way communication. Engagement is about an interaction uh, and partnership where, where there is, you know, there is a collaboration, a true collaboration and people working together, parents and teachers and school staff who are working together uh, with the focus being on that child. Um, and so, you know, it, um, it's much more than did you show up at a, a an ice cream social in a school? Oh, that's, you know, that what you were just describing. And certainly as, as we just got through this pandemic, uh, the idea of the role of families in the, in the education of their children, which which many of us in the work have always known. Mm -hmm. But in education is a system that maybe haven't respected it or prioritized it as much. Learning at home, all the things you talked about. How are you transporting your child to this? How are you getting ready? Are they have they been have they been fed in a way that allows them to to maximize their learning in their in their school day? Have you provided them with a, an a, an ideal environment to do their homework? You don't necessarily have to be an expert on their homework, but you can you need to be encouraging. You need to provide an environment. These are all 
do you have a relationship with the teacher? Are you able to have two-way communication? So, so that, by the way, it's not just about you engaging with the teacher, but think about it for a minute. This goes back to the preparing educators. Imagine if all educators were able to see their student through the lens of the family. I mean, imagine how we would shorten the learning curve of a teacher addressing teacher quality if the first thing they did before the beginning of the school year was to literally engage the family in a way that there was a partnership, right? So that's, we're talking about relational trust here. We're not talking about a newsletter. We're not mm -hmm. talking about an email. Those are tactics. And that's one of the challenges, but developing relational trust. Imagine how different the school year could be for that child if a teacher really understood a child through a parent's eyes, right? So um, that's what we mean by engagement uh, in ways that ultimately lead to what we call relational trust. Mm -hmm. So now you look at it, so that's kind of like, for me, that's on the micro level, right? When we start talking about engagement in families and what that looked like. But if we come out a little bit um, and start to look at the um, macro level, which mm -hmm. is now school and school and community, right? Which is families collective. And then how do those things interact? Where do you see the obstacles and challenges when it comes to schools being able to connect with communities as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question. So first, you know, it's not just about teachers. Uh, our research really shows this. And sometimes teachers feel this an immense burden that it's all on them. And that's just not the case. So to your point, you know, even if the research is clear about this as well, even if teachers have been ideally prepared to engage families, if the culture in the school is not welcoming, if the principal is not leading a culture that really is supporting welcoming families as partners, then that even if a, a, a teacher learned that uh, about preparing uh, parents, about engaging parents as partners, they often lose it over a period of time if the culture doesn't support it. So what I would say to you is leadership matters. And uh, from the principal to the, the school district superintendent to the school board uh, and everything in between, leadership matters. So it's around how are we creating welcoming environments for families and really thinking about everything that supports that. Um, and then how are we engaging in the community to your point, uh, to let, you know, one, if, if, you know, a parent isn't just automatically going to trust a school, if there isn't been a relationship, one way to leverage trust is through the community, whether it's a place of worship, whether it's a community center that a, a parent may frequent, uh, uh, whatever it might be, uh, what, um, those are opportunities to leverage trust. Those are opportunities to reach families in ways that you might not be able to. And so uh, thinking about how a community is engaged, not only to provide supports to families that might need them, uh, because sometimes families can't be engaged if they're dealing with crisis issues like a roof over their head or they're hungry or they're, they're not employed and they're, they're not able to make ends meet. I mean, those things have to be addressed um, and uh, sometimes first. Um, and so that's where the community comes in. Yeah. And so let's stick a pin in that right now, because if we just left it, if the book ended right there, my question for you is how do you get sleep at night? Because all that we just described is a huge issue and challenge 
to overcome. We haven't even got to where I'm going yet. We're just talking about families and community and interaction and engagement. And there is so much work to be done at that level. How does that not keep you up at night or does it? Of course it does, but I'm also uh, inspired by what I think that we can accomplish. I mean, I think we understand the role of families, uh, the role that families can play. And when sometimes when I hear um, school staff say, well, you know, it's our fo- our focus is to educate children. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know their family, how can you know the child? And so I think part of this is really understanding the role of a school in engaging families as partners, it helps them. It's not just check the box or do this because it seems politically correct or it sounds like it's the right thing to do. It actually supports student achievement and and school improvements. So some of this, Ken, is, 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 and and we're making progress in this, is, is broadening the role of what a school believes it, it has as its role uh, in in supporting student achievement. And it's not just about the classroom learning, right? In classroom learning, it's all those other things that you're doing. Because if it's only about that, I mean, one doesn't know the child and one doesn't know the family, then, you know, when we're looking at some of these gaps in achievement, um, again, not the fault of the students, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not meeting their needs. And so you can't educate them in a way that allows them to be successful and capable if you don't address some of these other things too. Yeah, and so let's broaden this conversation a little bit into another area that I know NASCI does extremely well and are extremely effective in this space. I have the pleasure of sitting on Vito's policy um, committee. And I could tell you I am, when I do have the chance to actually be in those committees and I plan to commit and make sure that I'm intentional about being there for a couple of different reasons, but listening to everyone on those phone calls who are in, in that committee, who are passionate, have been in this space for a long time. Many of them have had extremely high level positions in education and have now retired, but still have the fire in their belly to kind of finish and complete what is left undone. And that broadening of this conversation then moves into the policy space, right? And that is out of all that we just talked about, family engagement, community engagement, the struggles and obstacles and being able to do that. um, At the end of the day, there's also a um, environment of policy that aren't as helpful and are as, understanding of all that we already talked about and serves in some instances as bigger barriers than the ones that we're talking about. Talk about the um, necessity of NASCI being in the policy space and what that looks like and why we should be paying more attention to that. Sure. So, you know, we're all about advancing practice in ways that engage those families as, as, as partners in their child's education, but often without the pot policies at the federal and state levels and local levels for that matter. And, and, uh, and attached and often aligned with those policies are resources. Mm. You can't achieve the practice. You can't, so you ultimately can't achieve what you need to if, if there are not policies 
in place and resources available to be able to move that. So that's where, you know, when we, again, I talk about systems, you know, that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's not the most exciting word for some people to talk about unless you're, <laughs> you get excited about systems, but at the end of the day, it's policies and procedures and resources that support systems that then ultimately support, you know, um, practice and, 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 and our mission. So that's where, you know, we really look at this as both, it's about advancing policy and advancing practice. Mm. One doesn't necessarily come before the other. Sometimes practice informs policy change mm. often, uh, but sometimes it's the policy change that allows the practices to evolve um, and to focus on both. Yeah, you and I are both fathers um, and we um, have a passion for looking at the particular lens within education and more specifically family engagement as it relates to fatherhood. Um, and you and I have had conversations along with others around the country, Mike Hall and and um, other names are escaping me, but just men that are doing, not men and women who are doing phenomenal work in advancing the conversation of responsible fatherhood. When you look at this work that you do through that lens and how fathers are either engaged or not engaged, what does it look like for you? Well, so that's a, obviously that's what brings us together, right? That's right. our path together. <laughs> you know, I just believe that when we talk about family engagement, so often fathers are forgotten. Um, and so uh, for whatever reason, uh, often are in this kind of work, it's been more predominantly moms than dads, not because dads are less important. Uh, some of it was the stereotypical role of generations ago, where there was this perspective that dads were working and bringing home the money and, uh, and moms were, you know, keeping that managing the household and, and that included being engaged in their child's education. I mean, that was generations ago. And that is, you know, certainly not solely the case anymore. And, um, and so, you know, I, I just think, oh, because of that history over the years, dads have just not been prioritized, it, you know, and even from a standpoint of, you know, I've been very involved over the years in, in national PTA, and this has always been something that they've focused on too. A lot of the systems back then, even with PTAs were really meetings that were more conducive to females and moms being involved than dads. Men think differently often. Not only, you know, I don't want to overly stereotype men and women because that's part of the problem, but, but sometimes men think differently than, than, than women. So when you're creating structures and processes, you know, you have to think about that. Um, if, 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 if it does happen to be a, 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 a situation where, um, the dad is working a nine to five type of a job and you're only providing opportunities to be engaged in the child's school or to meet with the teacher during the business day and that guy and the, and the dad can't get out of work. Well, that's not conducive to his involvement in the way that that should be. I mean, it's, that's like one example. Right. And so, you know, as, as we advance family engagement at NAFSCI, you know, you and I, we've had so many conversations and we're moving it forward now where, We've got to be strategic and intentional on how we are also engaging. It's not instead of, but mm. but it does require, I think, an intentional focus without being siloed. I have a conversation previously about the importance of integration. A hundred percent agree with you. Mm. 
But at the same time, you can't have integration if you don't have a foundation. If you have a historical perspective where men just haven't been expected to be at the table. Absolutely. Uh, uh, then, then what are you integrating, right? I mean, we have to kind of change mindsets and then create systems and processes and ways that enable men to be the same kinds of partners as, 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 as the women in a child's life are. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to, you know, the research is there because, you know, people are uh, uh, pessimistic, I guess, in a word, um, about whether or not they believe that there is even a benefit to having fathers involved in the education of their children's lives. When research points to the fact that when engaged fathers are healthily, if that's a word, <laughs> involved in the, in the lives of their children, they fare better in school, they, are, they tend to have more A's, they engage in extracurricular activities more often, their self-esteem is higher, um, they feel safer, um, they are less likely to engage in deviant behaviors. They're less likely to uh, be become teenage uh, uh, um, parents uh, when fathers read with their children. Um, their, their reading scores are higher. Um, all kinds of great things happen when fathers are engaged in the lives of their children, and it often baffles me that how come not as a result of that, that fathers are looked at as one of the solutions to improve the outcomes of education for children. That's what we have focused on. Yeah. In fathers. Yeah, I, I just building on what you just said, you know, um, and I have not looked at this research recently, but I certainly uh, know the past research, which indicated uh, that beyond everything that you just said, um, daughters uh, achieve more significantly in school when their fathers are engaged, even comparing that to when their moms are engaged. Mm-hmm. So it's an even greater impact. It's an impact across the board, but it is an even a greater impact uh, for, for, for girls being in, uh, 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 achieving in school when their fathers are engaged. So there's no question about its importance, but I think, you know, it, um, from a mindset issue to a systems and, and processes issue, you know, we need to address it in ways that that uh, that fathers are are invited and welcome to be at the table and then engaged in ways that they can be. Mm-hmm. And that understanding, you know, what, what does that mean? How do we, what do we need to do so that fathers can be engaged? How are we creating that? welcoming environment and the opportunities so that they can be engaged mm-hmm. uh, and and then we can integrate it then we can look at it across the board but we have to have a particular focus i think on on understanding how we're going to do that mm-hmm. and a lot of this surrounds this issue of traditional perspectives right how we have been taught to think about men involvement, father involvement, mom involvement, women involvement, involvement, period, right? And so NAFSCI, NAFSCI has a um, initiative um, called Reframing the Family Engagement Conversation. Talk a little bit about how that plays into what we're talking about and what your hope is for that particular initiative in reframing this conversation that we're having. So, you know, we did, uh, we, 
we uh, contracted with the Frameworks Institute, which is a very well-known, reputable uh, communications research company uh, um, headquartered in Washington, D.C., but they've actually done hundreds of reframing initiatives all over the world. Um, and they really focus on societal issues, societal crises, and understanding um, how various audiences uh, perceive and understand an issue. Um, and so we wanted to understand how our audiences um, perceived and understood family engagement. And mm -hmm. so we, you know, they looked at this from a standpoint of um, experts, without getting too much into the weeds on this, but experts, policymakers, practitioners, and the general public, those four audiences, how do they understand, perceive, and react and behave around about family engagement? What they determined, what the research determined, is that there are total gaps in understanding among those four audiences. So the general public does not understand family engagement for the most part in ways that the experts do, even the that policymakers do, that practitioners do. And so, and that, and that goes, that, that's true of practitioners not necessarily even understanding it in ways that the experts do. So, so, you know, we then looked at that research and created an initiative that we're calling Reframing the Conversation. You can go on famengage.org and, and there's a full online, you know, resource, a variety of resource tools to help anyone who goes on that website understand it better. But it's really how do we effectively communicate it? And, and again, without getting too much in the weeds, what, the, what Frameworks has taught us is often even those who are experts think that they know best how to communicate it. And sometimes, and oftentimes, um, the way that it's communicated is actually communicated in ways that actually hurt people understanding it, actually undermine people understanding it, not help people to understand it. So now that we have this sense about the research, you know, we're advancing uh, recommendations for how people how how people need to communicate family engagement so that ultimately the general public understands it in the same way. Mm. And we hope that that will then help us to advance policy and practice. Awesome. What's on the priority list today for NAFSCI? Well, you know, uh, I talked a lot about educator preparation, so we are we are we are really focused on that. Um, um, and we are also uh, recently have been awarded the uh, National Center for Family Math. Uh, we're really excited about that. You know, uh, I know you have a reading initiative in Atlanta, and literacy is incredibly important. is foundational to education and student achievement, and so is math. Uh, the challenge is that math is is every bit as significant as literacy, but but uh, not anywhere near where we would like it to be in terms of 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 families uh, understanding and being able to prioritize at math um, so that their children are are more prepared to succeed in in school. And so we have a lot of work to do with this. You know, we really need to demystify math. You know, families are doing math every day, uh, Ken, and, and sometimes they don't even realize that it's math. Right. And, it's, it looks like science. Right. Or, or, you know, and it doesn't even matter what level of education you are. I can't, there are a number of very educated <laughs> individuals that I know that will say, oh, I'm terrible at math. And they don't even know that they're actually communicating negatively to their children about math 
mm-hmm. um, without without realizing it. And so we've we've got to turn that around because math is every bit as important as literacy. So we're really focused on that and moving that forward. And uh, we've got stakeholder groups that we've put together, a national alliance of family math. We have a parent advisory council because everything we do at NAFSCI is, is also about parent voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a parent and family leaders council that advises everything that we do at NAFSCI and three of those members sit on our board. So it's advancing parent voice, it's advancing educator preparation, it's, ad, um, it's advancing this communications campaign, um, it's advancing family math, it's advancing father engagement, uh, which is why we're here today. And, and, and we also have, uh, you know, a conference that we host now every year in partnership with Successful Innovations called uh, the National Family Engagement Summit. This year, it will be in Kansas City in October. Uh, we had uh, almost 1,300 people uh, either virtually or that came in person to Charlotte last year. So we encourage you to come to that. And also uh, in June, we are partner, we are a longtime partner of the Institute for Educational Leadership, IEL. They have a community schools and family engagement conference this year in June uh, uh, 7th through 9th, I believe, will be in Philadelphia. So those are convening opportunities where you can build your capacity, you can, you can strengthen your network, meet new people in the work uh, that, that we also have a focus on. Mm. So, yeah, and I'm excited about the conference coming up. Because um, they have been, NAFSCI has been gracious enough to actually have a father. We are creating a fatherhood track specifically. So if you are in the education space, um, if you are interested in understanding and learning more about this whole notion of engaging fathers in the educational lives of your children, we, um, we urge you <laughs> to be at this conference to be a part of not only that more specific question or issue, but the total question, the the question in totality, because as I go around the country um, and speak at Head Start conferences and early Healthy Start conferences and and PTAs and uh, and early educational related conferences, family engagement and more specifically fatherhood engagement is emerging as a subject matter and a conversation that people are having Uh, we are excited because this year we're actually re um, energizing our million fathers march campaign in september um covid did a number on us and really kind of knocked us back but pre-covid you know we were itching into the Um, 80,000 fathers engaging across the country, touching almost a quarter of a million children. And when COVID hit and school shut down, we've just not been able to recover that. So this year we're making an intentional effort on the third Friday of September um, to hit at least 200,000 fathers and a million children across the country to get fathers into their schools so that we can begin to encourage schools to engage fathers as they come in. And in about another two weeks, we're going to be launching um, the campaign for the Million Fathers March. And the campaign this year is the, um, the necessity of presence, we're gonna, or the power of presence. Because one of the things that we know about fathers is that oftentimes in schools, the most beneficial thing for having fathers in your school is simply presence, having them there, 
to be seen. They have an impact on your school that is immeasurable if you just invite them into your building and serve, right? Because dads, men, we need a project. Give us something to do. We just don't want to stand around and listen to you talk to our wives and our girlfriends. We need a project. Give us something to do. You know, school crossing guard, mystery reader, um, join the PTA, you know, mentor, be a school crossing guard, be something, hall monitor, um, cut grass, you know, clean, whatever the case may be. Give them a project. That's to what Vito was talking earlier in our conversation. That's engagement. Give them something that they can connect to and call their own. Um, and that's when you will see the numbers of fathers in your schools increase in a way that you've never seen them increase before. And so that's something that we're going to be pushing at the end of the year. Vito, give um, our audience something very practical that they can do to help NAFSCI, whether it is to become a member, whether it is to engage in their local community, what can they do to play a role in this work that you do? Well, for starters, I would say um, they can they can request to be on a newsletter list. I mean, that's a simple thing. There's no cost. Um, and then they can be engaged in everything that's going on. Uh, so that's an easy thing. You just go on our website, nafsce.org, N-A-F-S-C-E.org, and you can sign up. That would be one. At two, we would love to have you as a member. So membership is not expensive. You know, if it's a, we have both individual members that uh, the cost is usually $75 a year, but often there are discounts so that it can be less than that. If you go to the summit, if you're going in Kansas City, we actually include membership in the registration. So you can go to the conference and you will automatically be uh, a member of NAFSCI. If you're part of an organization, school district, community-based organization, a state education agency, um, a Head Start, uh, we have organizational memberships as well. So uh, I think those are two things that people can do. Um, you know, ultimately what we really want to do is to create a movement for this work. And we can't do that without a lot of people joining us. So mm. thank you so much. Um, it is a pleasure being your friend. Um, you inspire me, you motivate me um, to really, um, dig into this particular space. I'm in a lot of spaces, but the space of education has become something that has centered itself in my heart so much. So it's interesting because I didn't share this with you and I didn't share it with the group when we talked, um, in 2018, along with um, my friend Kwame Alexander, uh, we built a library um, in Ghana um, in honor of his mother, Barbara Alexander. And if you don't know who Kwame Alexander is, he is probably the hottest um, children's author in the country right now. And so um, for years, I went with him to Africa to do literacy work, training Ghanaian teachers and all kinds of things, particularly for my space. And ironically, you know, in the parent engagement space, that was my role and working separately with dads. And so we just went back this year. Um, the library is open. It is thriving. It is part of the um, Ghanaian um, public library system. Kids are enjoying it. It has become an attraction of neighboring villages that are coming in to utilize the library. And so we're gonna be doing some more work and we just launched our Real Dads Read Ghana in the library where they're gonna be doing very specific work around um, literacy and father engagement. 
But also as a result of that, Kwame just invited me again to another literacy trip in Kenya. So I'm going back to Kenya um, at the end of June to launch Real Dads Read Kenya um, with their educational system. And then just last night, this morning, just last night, I got an email from a young lady in Nigeria who said that she's been watching my work and saw that I was in Africa and wanted to know whether or not we could bring some literacy stuff to her organization in Nigeria. So it's something about Africa that's calling my literacy spirit into that space. And I'm going to be probably pulling on you a little bit to kind of think about how can we possibly do some information exchange activities with Africa in really talking about their passion for education and how they view education and what education looks like for them up against the principles that we hold true in America and what those things and what we can learn from each other because they, they, they respect and understand education on levels that we don't here in America. The way that they cherish a book is, is, is just an awesome thing to see uh, when you see how much they put value on education, the children put value on education. It is really a special thing to see. And I think that's part of what we could begin having conversations around in terms of impacting the culture of education here. I think in many aspects, the systematic element of education has become so politicized that we don't get to the essence of what real education is about. That's, that's awesome. I look forward to the conversation. So give us your contact information and then we're going to get up out of here. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to contact me, uh, you can go on the NAFSKI website. My, my email is last name, first initial at nafsky.org and, uh, and, and, and go on the website and uh, look forward to being engaged with you all. And one thing I want to just mention is, as, as Ken and I are talking about this, one of the the great things about the time that we've had in this work, uh, the multiple decades, is that we have a, you know, we've developed a strong network uh, in this work. And so beyond the summit, uh, what Ken didn't mention is we now have a, what I'm calling a leadership committee of, of, of father, what we're calling father engagement, because I want to be really specific. It's fatherhood, but it's also engaging fathers in their child's education that are part of a leadership committee, not only to think about this track at the summit, but how we together can advance this. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, it took us a little while to get it going, but now that we have it, I'm excited to see where it goes. Oh yeah, no, the fire has been set. Uh, I think that we're ready to roll now if this thing is going to happen. And so thank you um, again for joining me, Vito. Um, Vito. Um, my tongue is just so tired. I'm not like, sure why this morning. Um, but thank you so much for joining I Am That podcast, and I thank each and every last one of you for joining us today. Make sure that you share this podcast with your friends. Make sure that you go to the NAFSKI website and engage in this work. It is a critical piece of work for us, our families, our communities, and our country. I think this is a worthy thing for anyone to be engaged in and to do. Until next time, um, God bless, and I'll see you back here at I Am Dad Podcast. Take care and God bless. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. 
We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.